Hello and welcome to And the Winner Was. My name is Joel Winstead and this is my journey. I am watching every Best Picture winner in order, starting in 1927 with Wings. And with each episode, I'll be covering a different film with a different guest. With me today for the seventh time, I think it's the most of any guest so far. Uh, Dalen Rowell is back of the Faded Real Theater Real Podcast. Thanks for coming back. Yeah, I'm so happy to be here talking about another musical. Another musical. Well, you had to be here. It's a musical. Um, <laughs> but that doesn't mean you're going away because the next musical doesn't win until 2002. Um, mm-hmm. And we are in 1968. Today, we, of course, we are talking about Oliver. Um, screenplay by Vernon Harris uh, based on the, a book by Lionel Bart based off of the Charles Dickens story directed by Sir Carol Reed. And starring Mark Lester, Ron Moody, Shani Wallace, Jack Wilde, and Oliver Reed. It won a total of six Oscars. That includes an honorary Oscar that we'll get into. It was nominated for a total of 11 Oscars. So huge Oscar, darling. You know, back to the heyday of musicals and, you know, multiple, multiple nominations. Um, This is a movie that I didn't think that I had seen before. And then... Once the little kids started singing Food, Glorious Food, it all came rushing back to me. And I'm like, oh, I have seen this movie. (laughs) Um, I saw this movie. It must have been a very young child because I I had bits and pieces. Maybe I suppressed it. Um, But there was definitely bits and pieces that I remember, especially... um, the little hidey hole that they, that they, that they live in uh, later on in the film with, uh, with Mr. Fagan. But um, I didn't remember hardly any of it except for like the food, glorious food song and some of those things. What's your, what's your past with this movie? So I have a emotional connection to this film because this is one of my mom's favorite musicals of all time. And so I was kind of like raised on it as a child as this being like a very like pinnacle musical for me to enjoy. And like I was saying to you before we recorded, my boyfriend has actually been in a production of this and my cousin was also in a production of this. So Oliver has been very much in my life. But the irony Mm -hmm. is... I don't love this show. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, this go around with watching the movie reminded me of all the things I do not like about the show. Well, I mean, I'm I'm in the bag for musicals. I love musicals. Um, I like the the gaudy, you know, loud ones. I like the the quiet ones. I like the experimental ones. I like musicals. Um, and there, it's so weird because this this movie has. Everything you think it should have, it has, it has, um, I think there's, I think there's two fundamental flaws that we'll get into, but I think it ha- Mr. Fagan, that's a great character. Ron Moody knocked it out of the park. He's great. Oh yeah. Um, He's the best part of the movie in my opinion. A hundred percent. And him and Jack Wilde, the artful Dodger, I think they play off well from each other. I think there's some issues with Jack Wilde as the artful Dodger, but I think he's good. The music is is good. I think the songs, for the most part, are like good. The choreography is outstanding. Ten out of ten choreography. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. Some of these set pieces, but I think the two the the biggest flaw for me is Oliver himself, Mark Lester, yep. the actor. Oliver is just not a good actor. I, I know that they searched high and low 
for an Oliver and they wanted somebody that was young and impressionable and cute and innocent and all these things. And he just not, he just doesn't, he just doesn't do it. He just doesn't do it. He's very wooden. He's very small. I mean, the story is called Oliver. Right. You know I mean? Yeah. With an exclamation jump. point. <laughs> he needs to jump off the page, you know what I mean? Or off the screen. Yeah. And he just, it's such a very quiet, subdued performance. I don't know if Carol Reed, the director, was doing his best and got what he got, or or if they were just like under the gun and they're like, we need an Oliver, I guess, you know, choose him. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I think the, the thing with Mark Lester is that he very much has like that aesthetic appeal of what you would want from like a Victorian slash industrial era little kid with like big eyes. Yeah, he has the look. Totally has the look. But once he does anything beyond that, it's an absolute loss because he just has no, he he doesn't have the juice. He doesn't have any, any, uh, you know, electricity to him. Mm -hmm. Whereas everyone else in the movie Mm -hmm. has that. And Mm -hmm. I think that that is a big reason why many of the other cast members in not just this movie, but just in other productions of Oliver, just in general, have always been the more showier, important parts of the story. And I think this movie kind of like cements why that is just the case with this show, period. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this this particular incarnation of Oliver should have been called Mr. Fagan and the Artful Dodger. Like that's right. <laughs> they get the, they get the last scene of the movie together. They ride off into the sunset together. Literally, like th- is their is their story. You know what I mean? Oliver is kind of just like happens to be in his in their orbit. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. And, right. Um, and you know, you're talking about Mark Lester's performance, and he, you know, a lot of these a lot of these characters, a lot of the actors in this, especially the children and, and Fagan and Ron Moody. They originated the roles either on West End or on Broadway. And so they were a part of this. And so, like, you can tell when a theater actor is in there and when a non-theater actor is in there. Oh, yeah. And, you know, a theater actor is so much more expressive because they're playing to the back of the room in the theater. Um, And so, you know, Ron Moody and Jack Wilde, like, that translates well, especially for a musical. But Mark Lester as Oliver is, is, I don't know... I don't even think he's playing to the person in the front row. You know what I mean? He's just, he's so, it's such a quiet performance and his facial expressions are very, very muted. And um, yeah, it was, yeah, it was, it was really weird uh, to go in that direction. And I think, I think it's the movie really, really suffers for it. It does. And I, I think also the other thing, kind of what you were saying about like the Broadway performers being stronger and also like, mm-hmm. you know, it being more Fagan and Dodgers show. That's yeah. just kind of a thing. And I was saying this to my boyfriend last night as we were watching it is really kind of become the evolution of this musical just in general from like a pop culture standpoint, because, you know, over time when this show was originally produced, they advertised it as Oliver. And, you know, there was like a picture of a kid, which was very mm. creepy, by the way. Mm, I yeah. highly recommend that you and anybody else listening to this look up the original promotional art for this show. It's very creepy. But years later, when they would advertise the show, especially in the 80s and 90s, when they did revivals of it on the West End, the mm. logo was literally Fagin. And it was his face. Mm. And the words Oliver were kind of like, 
built into his face or like vice versa. So mm. clearly the show then became okay, so like we have this, you know, beloved source material, but it's really a showcase for whoever we could get to play Fagin and yeah, nobody else. It's definitely a showcase for for the Fagin part for sure. Yeah. And I think that this movie is part of the evolution towards that because Fagin is, like I said, the best part of this movie and he very much steals every moment that he's in. Yeah. Oh, 100%. I mean, I mean, it's, you know, um, when, when he's on, when he first gets introduced, when he is on screen, it's all you can see, you know, he he's because of the makeup, because of the prosthetics, because of the costume, it's just, it all fits. You know what I mean? And what we've seen so far is, is like this CD kind of like grungy, you know, London and um, Fagin shows up and it's, it's something out of, out of a, the Dickens novel. You know what I mean? He just really, really jumps out at you. Um, and, and his introduction song, is great um and 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 but i think that that's you know the movie kind of lives and dies by fagin and unfortunately i do like uh the songs in this i don't like all of the songs um and there was a there was a good amount of them that i did not connect with that weren't catchy um but there's there's the big big number the um uh when Dodger first meets Oliver and oh yeah and, 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 and like the Consider whole city yourself city of London is dancing and twirling and that's yeah. all that's amazing. The song itself is like is decent but like the choreography was like blowing my mind. Oh yeah um, definitely and well then, and I, I think the the thing in regards to that song is it does a really great job of introducing how completely differently aesthetically and also emotionally London is from the rest of Oliver's world. It's a great, like now you have entered this magical like world of weird people, like policemen that, that like, you know, jump up and down, like they're on a chariot, you know, (laughs) stuff like that. (laughs) I loved it. I, I loved it. The, the, and then the choreography in, um, who will buy, um mm. uh that is as outstanding too with the the people on the ladders and and um the kids and going in the pond and all that like it's it's all it's all great it's very very creative um it's not just couples dancing and and twirling um there's there's so much to it and there's like a hundred different things to see it's like a world's waldo book of stuff going on it's absolutely insane uh, yeah and I, that are I, that's why it's so cool that you could clearly see that this movie spent a lot of money on the ensemble yeah. you know yeah. and having them like go all out with the wonderfully you know different choreography even though some of it was a little silly but mm-hmm. i appreciate mm-hmm. the silliness of it like no, my favorite yeah, <laughs> my favorite is the ladies who are whacking the 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 carpets yeah. at the side of the the banisters outside the yeah. houses. Amazing. <laughs> yeah, and there's there's all kinds of little things like that's why that's why I was loving watching this movie, especially the big the big musical numbers because even the smaller ones, it's like it would show 
you know, ladies dancing. And then, and then in that, in a little bit later, like dudes, the ladies are still dancing and then dudes are dancing with bread. And then they, as they're still dancing, you can see in the background, there's these like window washers on ladders and they're doing crazy stuff going up and down ladders. And then in the same shot, while all those people are still doing all their things, there's a group of young uh, boys and girls being trotted out and they're dancing in a circle and the camera's moving back and it moves back and you see his tree inside the, on the tree, on the tree branches is a guy playing an instrument. And it's just like, there's just so much stuff that's happening all the time. And you're seeing all these different things happening all at the same time. Um, yeah, it was, it was like overwhelming kind of like, but it was, it was, it was very, very impressive, which is, when I talked about earlier how I had won six Oscars, it won five Oscars that night, but then there was a sixth honorary award that they gave it for outstanding choreography achievement. Um, which, which it deserved. It deserved because they're like, you know, they watch this movie and they're like, we just, we need to like make an award for this because it was insane. Uh, yeah. And it was, yeah. Very, very well deserved. And it's crazy that they did that. I wish they would still do that kind of stuff. Um nowadays but Ona oh, White, the honorary oscars yeah like it's just like hey this was really good like you know like barbie or whatever this year would be like a perfect opportunity to do an honorary oscar for one of many things um yeah but Ona white the choreographer who did like the choreography for 1776 and bye bye birdie and music man the great waltz um and uh, you know was prolific uh, on broadway and multiple multiple tony um nominations um yeah crazy crazy good choreography yeah total again totally deserving and despite my uh not so favorable thoughts about this movie overall i do think that that is one of the shining elements of it for sure it's definitely my favorite part there i mean i like fagin a lot um because i really enjoy one of my favorite musicals is sweeney todd and uh tim, uh... Burton. tim burton's sweeney todd is 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 you know so great and like i love les mis and i love the the um for reference the the helen bottom carter and um uh borat what's his name sasha baron cohen oh are you talking about the tenardiers yeah the tenardiers i love that i love like the you know, they're wearing like rags and it's gross and dirty and they're singing their song and they have their little accents. And like, I love, I love that. And yeah, uh, this it's Oliver so really scratched that itch for me in yeah. those, those specific things because of like the, the, just the way that, you know, where it's set and the, the characters and all that. Yeah. Well, that's so funny that you said that because literally verbatim, I said something very similar mm -hmm. to that to my boyfriend last night that, I have a, a love for moments in musicals, especially of the time that Oliver was made. And also going back to a movie we talked about, My Fair Lady, mm -hmm. where there would be a kind of middle-aged older character who gets to have a very theatrical, campy number in a show that sort of, you know, is the comedic beat of that show almost. Mm -hmm. And I think you could say that a lot about Arthur Doolittle. And I think that's also sure. the same thing with Fagin and definitely later on the Tenardiers. And, you know, for yeah. me, like I also love South Pacific. So like, you know, the, uh, the, uh, there's nothing like a dame, like any, any of right. those moments, right. it's like catnip to me. I yeah, love yeah. that stuff. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Well, um, Arthur Doolittle's with a little bit of luck that, that yes. song would, fit in 
this this musical like it would have fit in with Oliver for sure. No, and and uh, get me to the church on time. Like all yeah, of that yeah. stuff, I think is yeah. very of a similar cloth. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And that you know those things. While I remember, I think I remember arguing that they weren't necessary for that movie uh, for My Fair Lady, um, but they they still are. They're some bangers. Oh um, yeah, they definitely are. <laughs> So, um, we talked about, um, young Oliver, Mr. Uh, come on phone, be weird. Mark Lester, the actor for Oliver, who would go on to do not a whole lot. He did some stuff in like the seventies up to the mid seventies, late seventies, but didn't do a whole lot. Kind of fell off the face of the earth. And so I was doing some research and I was like, man, what is, where did this guy go? Like he's had such a you know, really shot out there and was in a best picture winner. And, and then I found out and we were talking about it before we started recording. Mark Lester was friends or befriended or was friends with Michael Jackson uh, and had trips to Neverland ranch. And Mark Lester uh, has said that he donated his sperm to Michael Jackson. And he posits that he is the father of Michael Jackson's children, the biological father. Um, and if it's not all of them, it's at least Paris. <laughs> and, uh, and he's, and now there's like, uh, the Jackson family is like, he's not allowed to visit anybody. He's not allowed to be around. It's like this whole, this whole big thing, but it was very, very, uh, crazy finding all that out. Yeah. Uh, so the it young is. little innocent boy ended up being embroiled in the biological <laughs> crazy scheme with Michael Jackson. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, like I was saying to you at the top of the show, there's uh, a lot of different elements to that story that uh, mm. as a Michael Jackson fan are crazy to think about. But uh, all I know is, is that there are certain things that look like certain things and that <laughs> I'd be surprised. But also knowing Michael Jackson's like, you know, the fact that he was a child star very much like Mark Lester was not surprised that they were friends. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. You just would hope that um, it was for all the right reasons. Um, And and that brings up another thing is that, I mean, you know, alleged Michael Jackson things, but the, you know, Mr. Fagan... (laughs) is an old man who lives in a house with a bunch of young children. Like it was, it was like, what is, what's the context here? Is there stuff that we're not seeing or think coded in there? Yeah. You know, I mean, I, like I said, I have a lot of different thoughts about that side of the Michael Jackson stuff, but you know, perhaps, you know, you never know. know. (laughs) Uh, but uh, going back, though, to the movie, I wanted to touch upon what I actually thought was my biggest problem with this mm. movie. And also just as it as a musical in general. So I personally think that the source material of this musical is among one of the sadder stories to base a musical mm. on. Mm. And that's just how I feel about basing anything you know, inspired by um, Dickens' stories, Mm. but especially this one. 
And yet, I think the music itself is so tonally not matching the material at mm -hmm. all. <laughs> and that's why I find such a weird disconnect to it. I think there are certain songs that do match the, the seriousness of the material. Like, I think yeah. we haven't talked about her yet, but Nancy's songs, I definitely think match yeah. the yeah. the severity of the the story at hand mm. um and obviously fagin works because he's a character that's supposed to be mischievous but you know have like a little bit of like a darkness in him yeah. because he's got ulterior motives right? right right so you know that definitely is a factor that i think works but like, I personally find a lot of the songs that are like, do, 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 like, okay, um, yeah. Papa, no. <laughs> That's a big no. Yeah, yeah. Because when you were having a story where there is a little kid who not only is being abused from like a labor perspective, but also is being right. abused from a multitude of other perspectives, but he is like poor, he's abused. He also is getting involved with another man who is legitimately abusive towards women. Yeah, and yeah. you also have a female character that essentially sings a song about the fact that, like, she knows she's in a, like, really shitty, toxic relationship. And therefore, right. she cannot leave it because she doesn't mentally know the right thing to do and how to escape this toxic relationship. Yeah. Having songs like Um Papa and I'll Do Anything for You yeah. are just yeah. so tonally all over the place for me. And I yes. think that's also just generationally because this musical was written at a time where things sounded like that. But mm. I kind of wish that this material hadn't really been adapted until we had something like Andrew Lloyd Webber or like Les Mis, you know, yeah. but... That's just me. I know I'm an outlier with that opinion. But. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, when you're trying anything that you're doing that's in this Dickensian world, if you shower it with, you know, fluff in it, you know, and it ain't, there's definitely like a certain reality to this movie that's being completely ignored. Um, mm -hmm. You know, and like, even like, so like the, in like the story itself, like the original Dickens story, it's very convoluted and there's a lot of like people going after like an inheritance and like they know Oliver's true parentage and, and the Mr. Brownlow. Um, it's actually, it's not his niece. It's his daughter that went missing and blah, 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 blah. So like, I mean, there's, there's definitely um, creative liberties taking, taken with the, with this iteration of Oliver, but um but yeah, I mean, I think I think that I think that of of the ways this falls short is 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 that it's it's the music that doesn't match. It's the it's the songs that aren't quite there. Um, and then a, another another thing that is some of the characters and their motivations. You know, we meet the character of Bill Sykes, who is kind of like this the ringleader. Everyone's kind of scared of him, and he's very abusive. Um, he's very, he's a very obviously a dangerous man. Um, and in the, in the film, Oliver, um, gets caught 
with a bunch of people pickpocketing and they all run away and he and he doesn't run away he gets caught so he goes to in front of this judge and um he the guy that's trying to accuse him has pity on him takes him home is going to raise him as his own um he is seen by his group of you know married men that he was whatever taken to this people's house so everyone's scared that they're gonna he's gonna rat on them and that oliver's gonna snitch and they're all gonna get their big pickpocketing ring is gonna get found out so bill sykes starts to like unravel he like cannot handle it he's like wants to kill oliver at least get oliver back um he cannot handle that oliver is gonna be gone um but it's crazy that he's trying to like murder oliver um so that oliver won't snitch and say anything um and then towards the end of the movie when when she uh his girlfriend the the girl that we all cut, yeah when nancy is trying to like go and like secretly take oliver back and like try to do the right thing sykes finds out and follows him and, and sees her there and ends up killing her but what's crazy is that this entire movie has built Bill Sykes to be this kind of like wild card who's definitely dangerous and whatever. And then like once he murders Nancy, he like freaks out and like acts like he's never murdered anyone before. And, you know, it turns into like the complete kind of opposite character of what he was. And it ends up, you know, he ends up getting, getting killed, uh, trying to escape because he like freaked out and was like ran to the highest window of the building is trying to like, uh get across with a rope and it's just i don't know it was just like the entire time i'm like how how is this how is this character in this predicament like it's completely good i just felt like so out of character for him the entire movie right yeah well and and this is why may i interject Mm -hmm. that oliver and company is the better adaptation (laughs) of this story because Bill Sykes, instead of being a accomplice of Fagin, that is somebody that Fagin has like a kind of like, you know, co-partnership, weird, messy relationship with. Instead, uh. like Bill Sykes is transformed into like this, you know, corporate Wall Street tycoon mafia boss guy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he actually is intimidating, not only because he has two Dobermen, but also because mm-hmm. like... He, you know, legitimately w- is okay with killing a little kid and also a kid. Right. And he doesn't back down. He doesn't, like, retreat from his bad actions and says, like, yeah, like, I will chase this man yeah. and all his pets and this little girl down a subway and yeah. I'm not going to back down. Like, and he literally dies by yeah. getting hit by a subway car, you know? So, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. that... And I'm not saying that, like, Charles Dickens is a bad writer because he certainly isn't but i just think that it's funny that the movie with the singing billy joel dog did it better (laughs) (laughs) well and in that iteration uh sykes is played by robert loggia who is um a very intimidating presence exactly among many other voice voices in that movie that i think also are equally intimidating uh yeah. yeah those dobermans those dobermans they'll stick with you yeah um, they do <laughs> and billy joel they all stick with you. and billy joel right he played he was dodger right billy joel's dodger yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah he sang my favorite disney song of all time uh why should i worry which is the best oh right ever. right yeah 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, man, I totally forgot about Oliver and Company. It's been a long time since I've seen that one. See, you should rewatch that and be graced with the gloriousness of not only that song, but Huey Lewis singing the opening song, which is yeah, amazing. Um, it, it, it's, I, mean, I, just, I just talked about it, but it doesn't make any sense. Going back to my rant from before. Yeah. How in the in the, the book in the Dickens story, Oliver, the guy's daughter, dis, you know, runs away, and it's the guy's daughter who has Oliver. So right. he is Oliver is his grandson. Right. And in the movie, it's the guy. Oh no, it's niece. not his grandson. Oh, oh, right. In, in the movie, in the it's movie, different. it's his niece. And so it's his, whatever, niece's son. You know what I mean? It's just, it's like, why why make that change? It's, it's so convoluted. It doesn't, like, it would make way more sense if this was actually his grandson. You know what I mean? Well, here here's the thing that I wonder about that because, you know, obviously this was made at a time when uh, the, the, I think the, the sexual liberation movement was like kind of like bubbling under the surface. Mm-hmm. And maybe they didn't want to deal with the concept of like, oh, my daughter had an illegitimate child, but if I'm slightly removed from it and I'm sure. her uncle, it's yeah. not as bad. <laughs> That's my guess. I, I mean, it's as good as guess as any. I, it, yeah, I mean, <laughs> nothing would make that make sense. You know what I mean? And yeah, um, the sexual liberation is happening. What, um, you know, I was talking about it in the next episode i'll talk about it more and i i mean i've brought it up coming up but you know this this year 1968 is kind of like the last gasp of old hollywood mm-hmm. kind of like asserting itself at the academy awards and and its members voting for you know these old kind of old guard um typical hollywood musicals um because next year the winner is Midnight Cowboy. And oh, you get, right. You get into the 70s and it's, you know, it's bonkers, you know, and all, mm-hmm. you know, these, new, these new kids are coming into town and um, making all kinds of these these new movies and Cuckoo's Nest and French Connection and Godfather. And, you know, these are all these are all coming. And and this is like I said, this is the last musical 1968 is the last musical to win. Until 2002 with Chicago. Right. And so it's really interesting to kind of see this transition happening. Because obviously there was, you know, other other movies are out at this time that have nudity and sex and, and, and all these things. But these are the ones that the Academy is pushing for. These are the ones that Hollywood is presenting to the world of the best of the best. And, um, and so uh, it's just, it's pretty telling, you know, that like a feel good G-rated kids movie <laughs> uh, that, you know, does have some, some great stuff in here. You know, there's, there is some, some stuff to, to look at and to, to appreciate, but it's, is lacking in a lot of ways. You know, this year is also funny girls nominated for best picture this year. Uh, the lion in winter, Rachel, Rachel, Romeo and, and Juliet. Um, you know, and I would just like to say the lion in winter is an amazing movie and it makes me really mad. And it's crazy. It's crazy. And if you look at the acting nominees, like Alan Arkin's nominated this year, Alan Bates, right. 
Peter O'Toole, Cliff Robertson won this year along with, with Ron Woody for Fagan. Um, but Catherine Hepburn obviously wins for Lion Winter this year, and she splits that with Barbara Streisand as the they tied, um, which is wild. <laughs> which is which is wild. Uh, and then Ruth Gordon wins supporting for Rosemary's Baby this year, uh, and Rosemary's Baby wasn't even nominated. Um, but it's it's just it's like you know these are the movies that are coming out. Like Rosemary's Baby is very uh, subversive film. Um, uh, and it got pretty much ignored, um, except for some some acting stuff. But uh, but yeah, I mean, it's just it's really interesting to see. You know, this was nominated for for eleven awards um, in total. Uh, we got best picture, best director, art art direction, set direction, sound, score. Actor in a leading role from for Moody, actor in a supporting role for Jack Wilde for the Artful Dodger, um, nominated for writing, nominated for cinematography, costumes, and editing. Some of these I can see. You know, some of these are like, yeah, I can see how that would be. Whatever. Jack Wilde is the Artful Dodger. Not really sure if that deserves a best supporting actor. Nominee. Yeah, no, I mean, and listen, he's adorable in this role. Mm -hmm. I no. I, how I old? How old? Know. If you I mean, you might already know this, but like, if you were to watch it and not know, how old do you think that he that kid is? So, from what I know of him, he kind of has a similar thing of looking a lot younger than he actually was. Yeah. yeah. So I think he was like fourteen. He was fifteen. Okay, I wasn't far off though. No, like, no, but yeah. I mean, I I would have. I mean, if I were to watch that and guess, I'd be like like eleven, maybe twelve. You know, possibly. Yeah. Um, yeah. But fifteen—that's crazy. Insane. Yeah, insane. <laughs> like, um. So I mean, it, I mean, you know, it's a better performance, and it's you know, obviously, it's because he had some, you know, but more time on stage. Because um, he also played this in the show, correct? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's what I thought. Yeah. And so did a lot of the other boys that don't really have any um, lines or something like that, but they were. They oh, were the like, ensemble. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Well, uh, can, can we talk though for a second about something that I wanted to mention about this movie? Yeah. So the thing is, is that, you know, throughout the course of me being a part of this podcast, we have watched mm -hmm. so many great uh, movie musicals mm -hmm. that have a little bit of like an editing formula. And this is why I bring mm -hmm. this up because you mentioned that it was nominated for editing. Yeah. I think not only the editing, but a lot of the cinematography in this movie to be very much a mixed bag. Yeah. I don't want to use the word atrocious because that's a very <laughs> strong word. So mm -hmm. I'm going to say mixed bag. <laughs> but the fact that this movie okay, so first of all, the fact that the film does the the female characters Nancy's big song mm -hmm. on a wide shot for the most yeah. part where yeah. it's far away from her mm. and it like the ending note of that song is like so far away from her she looks like an ant. Yeah. Like like you know like there's no emotional connection to her mm -hmm. and they just never they never cut to a close-up near the ending of that song, and it just feels so anticlimactic. That and was she terrible. She doesn't get very good 
like that scene doesn't have very good choreography. It's nope. a, it's a very, it's like the bar is all packed. You can't really even really see like the set design of the bar because there's so many people in there. And right, yeah, it's, it's all it's all pretty convoluted in there. And this is yeah. like her big, uh, you know, for lack of a better phrase, I want song because she's right. essentially like you know, opening up emotionally about how she's in this terrible relationship with this man, mm-hmm. you know? And yet, like, they chose, like, the most detached shots to convey it, and I just think it just was done. Right. It was very lackluster, you know? Maybe there was something about, like, the isolation of her character and 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 and, and doing it like that, but that's not, you know, that's not how you get... That's how you get to the heart of a character, you know what I mean? By by right. isolating the audience from the character too, you know. Right. And especially because, you know, again, we watch so many of these movies, and then of course we talk about the our, the love of our lives here or no. But yeah. like, you know, I, I just was like, why why are you shooting her from right. so far away? That's yeah. so strange. Well, and give her some agency because she she becomes a very pivotal, a very pivotal part. And actually, now that you're talking about it. When she dies and she gets killed by Bill Sykes, you don't even get to really see it. It's not. It's it's like it's she's on the other side of a staircase and you can't really see what's right. going on. It's and just literally kind of, all it is is her limbs going like. Right, you just see her hands flailing, and then there's like you know later on they talk about how there's blood on his coat, and it's like, oh, what have you done? Um, yeah, they they really did. They did Nancy wrong. Yeah, they definitely. Well, I also think that's because. They, you know, were trying so hard to make this movie family friendly that they were like, oh, well, we do it from like far away, you know, it like you get the implication that something terrible happened to her and she died. But but also it's like, I don't know, it just it it seems like Nancy just gets like the short end of the stick in this movie. Yeah. And like like the character's whole life got the short end of the stick. No, absolutely. Poor Nancy. And justice then, for Nancy. Oh yeah, justice justice for Nancy. It's true. And then the other problem that I have with this, kind of related to that, is the ending moments of this movie mm-hmm. is this long extended conclusion, like you could say, like curtain call for Fagin and the Artful Dodger. That's yeah. this beautiful map painting, like mm-hmm. gorgeous, you know, sunset and their silhouettes and all that stuff. And I was like, okay, cool. Mm-hmm. I wish this wasn't a wide shot that you didn't cut to anything, mm-hmm. but okay. Mm-hmm. And then literally the next scene, the ending scene of the movie is, you know, Oliver coming out of a carriage, running up a flight of stairs and hugging the random uh, right. housemaid at, lady. At a distance, yeah. And then it just fades to black, and that's it. I was like, "Uh, uh, uh, excuse me, where is the swelling score? Where is my end title card that says the end with, like, the super cool, like, old-timey Dickensy art? Right. None of that was there. And I just, it just, I kind of just sat there for a sec. Oh, and also because then it cuts to, like, the credits of, like, a bunch of people dancing and whatnot. I I just kind of sat there, and I'm like, that's the movie that the Academy watched and they went, that's a great musical that deserves best picture. Like it just ends like with a thud. Like there's yeah. no, there's nothing there. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I completely agree. It definitely, it definitely has its faults. You know, it, it, um, you know, I don't know if, if, if Carol Reed, the director was 
going for things and trying things out and, you know, wanted to whatever. But, you know, even you bring up uh, was nominated for editing. It was also nominated for cinematography. And, you know, a lot of this is filmed inside of like the room uh, where they right. all sleep. You know what I mean? And um, yeah, you know, there's some outs. I mean, I think the only thing that they, they probably saw was that, that, that the very end, that, that matte painting with the sunset and the, you know, the lighting there. And, uh, you know, there's not, as far as cinematography goes, yeah, pretty pretty uh, lackluster. But you know, this thing they wanted to—it seemed like they wanted to nominate it in all these different ways, you know. So yeah, chalk it all up, you know. Give well, it and I, I think it's—I think it also just like really speaks to how desperate they were for like the musical to win that year, and yeah. not something that was outside of the box. Because like again, when you compare this to. My Fair Lady, and even for all my detesting of it, the sound of music, mm-hmm. those movies look like like they they're not they don't look flat. Yeah, this movie well, looks so flat to me. Good. Yeah, I know, I know, but I I don't I don't love that movie. But <laughs> I will say that at least cinematically, that yeah, movie doesn't right. look flat. No, no, you know? oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, that that movie literally starts off with a crane shot over a friggin' mountain. Yeah. And this like and this film yeah. right. And this and this movie never does that and yet no. somehow was nominated for best yeah. cinematography. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean I can see yeah. I mean I can see some of these for sure. I you know costumes, yeah, give it to them. You know, sound, right. yeah, let's, let's do it. Um but did we talk about how uh speaking of sound how that uh, Oliver was dubbed no, we haven't talked about that yet. Yeah, usually I'm not a fan of dubbing, but uh, but yeah, so Oliver was dubbed by a female, uh, Kathy Green, um, who ends who is actually the the daughter of the film's composer Johnny Green, um, and she didn't really do a whole much, uh, a whole lot uh, of stuff with with Hollywood music and uh, Hollywood stuff um, after this. But um, I mean, I I think that. Kathy Green's voice is great. You know, it, it, it she did her best to kind of suit it towards a, a young boy. Um, and to give a little bit of credit to Lester, I, I looking, knowing after watching it, not really super picking up on it. Um, Cause in my head, it was like, Oh, this is why they hired him. Cause he has, he can sing. Um, uh, and then finding out later that that he was dubbed, it, and then it's even more just mind numbing that he was that he was cast. But he right. does he does a, a decent job of of singing these songs. Um, I don't know if he was lip syncing to Kathy Green's in like his you know on set or if he was just singing the songs and they overlaid it with Kathy Green. I'm not sure how they did it, but um, convincing enough, I guess. Yeah, well, and the irony is, you know, much like the uh, role of Peter Pan on Broadway a lot of the time, this role is actually often more recently played by young girls. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because the I think it's that um, melodically, the voice of Oliver has to be so angelic that a lot of little boys can't do that after a certain point in their life. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting to think about that, that it was ultimately dubbed by a girl. Yeah, yeah. 
Uh, at least it wasn't. Uh, oh no, I can't. I'm not gonna remember her name. The girl that always dubs over Roger Hepburn. And then I get oh, um, <laughs> oh my god, her name right now. If yeah, if you would have asked me, uh, like five minutes ago, I told you. Um, yeah. Uh, also, Oliver Reed, who plays Bill Sykes, is the nephew of the director Kale Reed. Um, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, they were related, and Oliver Reed insisted on, you know, doing it right and screen testing, and he really wanted the role, and he didn't want to get it because of nepotism and all that, but still ended up with the role, nepotism or not. I'm not actually a huge, you know, I don't really care about nepotism. If, if you're good for the role, you're good for the role. Yeah, exactly. If you're a nepo baby, you know, if you're a talented nepo baby, then it's, it's yeah. fine. Yeah, well, most of the time, and there's so many Nepo babies that you don't know they're Nepo babies because they're set up on their own, their own thing. Yeah, um, absolutely. And I will say that I do think out of uh, a lot of the people in the cast, Oliver Reed also very much stands out as Bill But it's a shame yeah. that he never got to sing in never the movie because the songs yeah. that he has in the musical were cut. Yeah. Yeah, they were cut because I, so I was reading that it was. You know, it was cut by the director and producers because they didn't want people to like Bill Sykes. They wanted him to be mm -hmm. feared. They didn't want to give him a song so that people could sing along and and, and like that. Um, I think it's probably because Oliver Reed uh, got the role due to some type of nepotism and couldn't sing. And they're like, "Well, we'll just cut that. We'll just cut it." Well, so that works out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if that was the outcome. But also, like, I think, again, kind of going with what we were talking about of the things that they do decide to show and they don't decide to show. I'm not surprised that they didn't want to give any sort of humanity to the guy that ends up killing a woman at the end of the show. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe a good choice. Maybe a good choice. And I mean, I mean you know, Fagin rides off in the sunset, but in the books, Fagin is sent to the gallows, you know, so... Mm -hmm. um, you know they get their they get to do what uh, what they want to do. Yeah. Um, I think it should have ended with Fagin and Dodger walking off into the sunset, singing about stealing kerchiefs, and um, <laughs> just ignore it all over all together. But, yeah. Um, you know, I, I, a lot of people. I was going over it and reading and seeing things, and a lot of people like this movie. They really, really like it. Um, I think it's I think it's good. I think it's fine. You know, I don't think it's anything crazy. It didn't change my life. Um, so you know, the songs are good, but like I'm not singing these songs now. You know, like there's so many musicals where I'm like singing the songs, listening to the songs. I'm going and finding the cast, the Broadway cast on Spotify, and listening to the listening to the the casting. It and I just this isn't one of those movies. This the music is just not just not all there for me. Um, yeah. Well, and, and I think. Oh no! What were you gonna say? I'm sorry. I was gonna say something in silly about how food glorious food is only in my head because of Sid the Sloth from Ice Age when he sings. <laughs> but you know, I am someone who's very new to the Ice Age movies, and I did not know that until recently. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, the thing uh, for me, like I said at the top of the show, is that I know that my mom, who probably is listening to this, loves this musical mm -hmm. and cherishes it so much. But, you know, uh, it's just never been one that has done anything for me. And even as a child, I always 
felt a little bit of a disconnect to it. And I think that's because, and I was saying this uh, also to my boyfriend last night, that I have a weird disdain just automatically to stories of little boys getting lost in a big city who are like orphan boys or orphan Mm -hmm. adjacent boys that Mm -hmm. need to go on a big adventure and find family. Uh-huh. It's never been my thing. It's why yeah. American Tale, not for me. Yeah. Pinocchio, not for me. <laughs> yeah. You know, you, I don't like those either. I always attribute it to Don Bluth uh, artwork, which I don't jive with at all. But um, Oh, interesting. But yeah, okay. I don't like that either. I don't like that either. Yeah. Well, and you know what's funny is the other thing I said uh, in, related to that is there is a certain category of song, which this movie has, of little child who is in a similar situation singing mm-hmm. to the sky mm-hmm. about that they are sad and they yeah. are singing at a very high pitch that sounds not really in tune. <laughs> <laughs> so because you know, like that that Lay Miz song, Castle in the Sky? That that one is 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 on the in the Van diagram of mm-hmm, what I don't like. But I also <laughs> Uh, uh, somewhere out there from American Tale, not yeah. my vibe. Yeah, uh, I agree. Oliver's saga, Where is Love? Not yeah, my vibe. No, not a good song. Yeah, nope. And then the I will say I like Annie, but the there's one or two songs in there that are close to being part of that category. <laughs> it's no, it's no Edelweiss. No, <laughs> that, that's for sure. But but also like I just there's something about those songs that I guess I get some sort of cringe secondhand embarrassment reaction. Yeah. yeah. To it's very strange. Yeah. No, I I'm picking up everything you're putting down. I totally vibe with all of that. Um, I need to explore that more uh, about why. <laughs> Literally, I was always like, I don't like Don Bluth. Don Bluth creeps me out. I don't like the artwork. I, you know what I mean? I always thought it was like that. Like, all dogs yeah. go to heaven. Like, that kind of... I was just like, no, thank you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, but maybe it's something different. Maybe it's something more interior. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I I am a Don Bluth fangirl, but I get I get why it's creepy. I get yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. I, I can't even attribute... Like, I don't even know why or what it is. But, like, if it's drawn by Don Bluth, like, I do not vibe with it. <laughs> I, yeah, don't, and that, I don't really know why. And that's fair. And that's why, similarly, I just don't vibe with lo- with stories about little boys getting lost in a big yeah. city. Just yeah. Not for me. Yeah. There's, there's definitely a version of this movie where those boys are getting abused <laughs> by the creepy yeah. old guy that lives with them. Um, Correct. <laughs> yeah, it's it's, it's kind of wild, and like you know, Oliver is like abused. You know, he's gets sold to the funeral people, and they lock him in the coffin. Like he's like yeah. some trauma happening. Again, um, and that's why, like again, I find it so fascinating that culturally, we first of all, like I said, that my mom loves the show because she has mm-hmm. like a very big aversion to cruelty, and I never mm-hmm. understood mm-hmm. why then she likes the show. I think because she saw it as a kid. Sure. But then also, like, why culturally we're like, yes, let's let little kids do this show right. all the time at school. Like, I'm right. like, what? Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oliver Jr. all the time. I'm like, mm-hmm. 
what are we what why is that okay <laughs> right it's funny yeah because this is like a takedown of like child labor and things like that and uh, right. we're turning around right. and making children do this um in twice on sundays yeah <laughs> uh but i mean i don't know i i i didn't hate this movie and some of the, the choreography is some of the best i've ever seen um yeah and 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 uh Ron Moody as Fagan is outstanding. Um, but And I think Shawnee Wellis as Nancy is great, despite the yeah, film Nancy's not great. filming her great. <laughs> no, it doesn't do her justice. But yeah, no, I, yeah, there's some good performances. Um, there's some fun choreography, some you know, good setting. You know, it's it's fun, it's it's fun, but man, it just it's missing that extra little you know that that kind of would bring it into the realm of of some of my favorites of all time and it's just not just not there for me yeah not doing it any final thoughts uh my final thoughts are that i i will say i did enjoy watching it this time more than i ever had as a kid but aside from that still very much not a favorite show of mine uh, and I truly cannot understand why other than Hollywood wanting to sanctify the art form of film in some way, why this one best picture that year? Yeah, I don't get it. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. And, you know, two, you know, two of my favorite movies like Rosemary's Baby is like top five for me, like one of my favorite movies of all time. But I'm like a little horror. Mm -hmm. Um, and also not not nominated. And then another movie that was not nominated that came out this year was 2001: A Space Odyssey. Um, there you go. Exactly. And that wasn't even you know not even anywhere to be found. Um, I think it won special effects, um, and Kubrick was nominated for director. Um, but it just kind of goes to show how you know not always the best movie wins, not always the best movie gets nominated even or even right. you know looked at. Uh, mm -hmm. It's crazy. some cool Oscar trivia that I found while I was researching this episode. So, uh, Funny Girl comes out this year, and uh, Babs uh, won this year. And Gregory Peck was the leader of the academy. He was like the president of the academy. Mm -hmm. And typically, you're supposed to do... As, a, as an actor or someone that's trying to get into the academy to be a member uh, or to, to win in a, uh, to be a member, you have to, to be able to vote. You have to uh, have been in a movie and it has to be like two years from, you have to be, you know, it has to be two years from mm. the, your first role or whatever. Uh, but because everyone's just falling all over themselves for Barbara Streisand, um, he changed the rule for her. So she only had to do one year. So this was the first year that she could vote. Mm. Typically, she wouldn't have been able to vote this year. The votes came down for the for actor for actress um, between her and Catherine Hepburn, mm -hmm. and Barbara Streisand won by one vote. Presumably, mm. you would think that Barbara Streisand voted for herself this mm -hmm. year. And so the fact that that she was allowed to vote this year and that this is the year that she won by one vote over Catherine Hepburn, I don't know, it's pretty pretty cool, pretty <laughs> crazy. Um, 
Um, well, she didn't win over her. They they tied, but um, but yeah, it was like a, it was a true it was a true tie, like whatever three twenty to three twenty or whatever whatever it ended up being. But uh, anyways, I found that was a little uh, Oscar trivia note. Maybe it'll save your life one day. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, hey, listen, I'm always down for more Oscar fun facts. <laughs> so I love it, and I would like to say though, in regards to that, no. that uh, while I also think that Funny Girl is not a great show, uh, I know it might be a hot take to a lot of people. <laughs> I do think that cinematically, that movie feels so much more like a movie musical mm-hmm. than this one does to me. Yeah, well, Omar Sharif is just like he is sex in that movie. He, oh yes, <laughs> yeah. There's, there's a, lot a reason he has a lot of sex appeal. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And also, yeah. like Barbara Streisand again with putting my thoughts about the material of the show to the side. Yeah, Barbara Streisand is incredible. Mm-hmm. in that movie and mm-hmm. the fact that we are so lucky as a culture to have that recorded on film for no. all of time is something that i think is more oscar worthy than yeah. oliver so well that's my hot take <laughs> my hot take is that fanny bryce was nothing to look at uh and that's well, one of the reasons why she was a funny girl and and, and those follies back in the day uh and barbara streisand is uh even more beautiful than Omar Sharif. So, um, yes. but you know, you got to sell a movie. True. So, yeah. Well, and that, I mean, and that is a whole other episode of conversation we could have. <laughs> but yes, like Fanny Bryce was definitely quirky, unconventional. And yeah. Barbara Streisand is literally beautiful <laughs> in this movie. That is correct. Yes. Uh, that is all for this week. Thank you so much for listening. Continue to listen. Um, so it's probably just my mom and your mom at this point. But uh, yeah. <laughs> be sure to join me next week talking Midnight Cowboy with James Rosario. He's back. I think it's his sixth time. You can find this show on X at Winner Was Pod on Facebook and the Winner Was Podcast. I'm on Letterboxd. Find me over there. Email the show. Tell me what you think. Winner Was Podcast gmail.com dalen where can we find you in your stuff you can find me at it's really dalen on instagram and x and also tiktok and all the other social media platforms and you can also find my thoughts on movies and whatnot at the faded real podcast which also has a similar handle find all those things support all the things Thank you to Casey Townsend at Waterway Music for the intro and the outro music. You can find him at waterwaymusicnc.com. Goodbye. <laughs>